We're continuing in the book of James. You can pick up your Bible and James chapter 2, the first 13 verses, as we continue reading what amounts to tremendous wisdom that I believe can help us in our daily lives. So if you're there, it's James chapter 2 from verse 1 to verse 13. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes to your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, that's sex outside of the confines of marriage, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then these beautiful words, mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that beautiful? I'm gonna say that after me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Beautiful ending to that quite formidable piece of scripture. So I've entitled today's sermon, Hidden Treasures. Hidden Treasures. And I want to start off with point one and say, life is all about relationships. Life is all about relationships. In fact, relationships are the bedrock of life. In a very real sense, everything rises and falls on relationships. And in this passage, it really looks at how we interact with others. It looks at relationships. Relationships are a vital component of our lives. And I learned this lesson uh, as a young boy. Uh, it was Christmas time and we were on holiday and everybody was buying gifts and it was just, you know, Christmas is such a special time. And my mother wanted a pair of slippers. And so my dad gave her money so she could buy herself a pair of slippers. And uh, my uncle, he went and bought his wife a huge big gift. I mean, we could have fitted 300 pairs of slippers into, that, into the box that this gift came with. And I looked at this as a young boy, and I wasn't happy. 
I, I just wasn't happy. In fact, I was angry. I was angry because I felt like we can't afford it. And my dad sat and chatted to me, and he, he, I think he could see I was not impressed. And um, he, he, he chatted to me, and he said, my boy, life is all about relationships. Life is not about the size of the gift. Life is about relationships. Now, my uncle had to travel a lot for his business, and he would be away for extended periods of time in the business he was in. And he would buy very big gifts, and in a sense, I think he, he tried to compensate for the fact that he was away so much. You see, but my father reminded me that he's here with us, and it's all about relationships. And we need to look after this aspect. And gifts can often be used as a substitute for relationships. Be careful of that. And so I had to learn. And my father helped me to realize this. You know, in the end of the day, relationship is all that matters. When you lie on your deathbed one day, you're not going to ask them to bring you your degree certificate. You're not going to ask them to bring your Harley Davidson. You're not going to ask them to bring anything. You'll just want them to be there. That's relationship. When my wife passed away, there were was, there was so many of us there that I think it was a nuisance to the hospital. There was just so many. And just to get to her bed, you had to climb over several sleeping individuals. And the nurse came to me and she said, I can always tell those that are loved. She says, because there's people there. And she says, the sad thing is sometimes I'm the only people there. She says, I phone the family, I tell them it's, it's going to happen. They don't come. What's the good of it if you get to the end of your life and you've lost relationship? What's the good of it? You endeavor to have such good relationships that that hospital is up unhappy. <laughs> you do that. It's all about relationships. Now, I also remember when I went to Bible school, we arrived at Bible school and we got our first, I don't know if it was a sermon, a lecture, uh, I don't know what it was, but we were addressed on the matter of a relationship. And the lecturer was speaking about how important relationship is and that we must endeavor to maintain relationship. And he encouraged us to maintain relationships among ourselves because I just want to tell you, if you want to get division, just get theological. <laughs> it's worse than politics, I just want to tell you, if you want division. I mean, he said, now, maintain relationships. Maintain relationships with your family. Many of them had come from a distant town or place to study and prepare for the ministry, and he, he would say, encourage relationships to be maintained. But then he said, you must make sure that you maintain your relationship with the college secretary because she's far more powerful than you imagine. <laughs> and we discovered that firsthand because she had access to the dean. And so relationships are such an important aspect. Ultimately, 
he reminded us that we are here to study and the most important thing is that we maintain our relationship with God. Because theology can cause you to drift. You can become academic about your relationship. So life is all about relationships. I am blessed. I have been able to maintain lifelong good relationships with the vast majority of people I've come in contact with. And I'm thankful to the Lord for that. And I've also discovered that sooner or later I need those relationships. And God brought them into my life for a reason. As I stand here, there's only one person from whom I'm totally estranged. That's how good God's been. My father also was able to maintain relationships across cultural boundaries, wealth boundaries, positional, influential boundaries. He was able to maintain relationships, build relationships. I can remember as a young boy, 1980, it was the Holy Spirit Conference, and uh, my parents were staying in the Bramfontein Hotel, and my mom and dad organized that I could come through. There was only a double bed in this particular suite, and my mother made me a bed behind the couch with some blankets, and I, I, I was there. And I remember after the session, my dad coming home with a great man of God. His name was Nicholas Bengu. Great man of God from the Eastern Cape. And I remember lying behind the couch hearing these two men of God discuss the things of God. And to this day, when I meet people from the Eastern Cape and I ask them, have you ever heard of Nicholas Bengu? Oh, their faces light up. His church still stands there. They call it Kibengu. And that when you say that, they know where they're going. And my father managed to maintain these relationships. And I've seen that those relationships have still and are still to this day producing fruit for us. I'm telling you, they're producing fruit for this church. And in a world, the world in which we live, relationships are disposable. It's disposable. One moment, they might BFF my best friend forever. <laughs> and the next moment I block their number on my telephone. <laughs> I can see some guilty faces. <laughs> now there's some very guilty faces, I'm not gonna look anymore. Um, <laughs> be careful what you do. Relationships are important, don't fall into that trap. Just this week, the president of our country came out and said some distressing things. Distressing things about the state of the economy and jobs and brace yourself for massive job losses. And I, I was standing there and I was thinking, but we just had an election the other day and we were being told how wonderful things are. And then are you telling me this? And then he said, there are three reasons for this. And he said, firstly, people have no assets to work with. But I can understand. Two, there's a lack of skills. And thirdly, he said, there's no network of connections. Do you know what a network of connections is? It's relationships to people who can help you open a door. And I thought to myself, there it is, right there. 
And that's why I'm here to encourage you today that we maintain Christ-like relationships with others. That's what the apostle is talking about in this chapter. But there, point number two, there are things that can destroy relationships, and I want to just identify three that the apostle mentions right here. And I think there are many things that can destroy relationships, but these three are what he draws our attention to. And perhaps there's something for us to learn here in the area of relationships. Now, don't get quiet on me, okay? Firstly, favoritism. Favoritism. It says in James chapter two and verse one, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, don't show favoritism. Now I just wanted to, can anybody see the vagueness? No, there ain't no vagueness. It says don't show favoritism. In fact, the heading in my Bible here says favoritism forbidden. It's quite strong, eh? And favoritism is when we show special favor to one above another. Favoritism is when we show partiality or preference to one person at the exclusion of somebody else. That's really what the definition is. And we may begin to feel like one person is, is worth more because of how they dress or because how much money they've got or how much influence they've got or what we feel they've done for us. We show favoritism. And the Bible makes it clear that it should not be part of our lives, yet it seems such a natural thing. And favoritism, I believe, has its root in our personal preferences and not in the value of people. I think that's something we've got to be watching out for. Favoritism is destructive, whether it's in families. I've seen families destroyed by favoritism. I believe it's destructive in schools, where it leads to bullying and things like that. It's destructive in society, it's destructive in law, it's destructive in, in life. And I was trying to think, what is an example that I can give you of favoritism? And I found two that have been in the media a lot and we hear about a lot lately. The one form of favoritism that has wreaked destruction in our country is called nepotism. Now, nepotism is where I don't employ the best person, but I keep it for my family. Favoritism towards my family. There's another word that's been doing the rounds, cronyism. It's also wreaked havoc in this country. It's favoritism where I don't give the best person the job, but I keep it for my friends. And it's brought destruction. We have to hear about it every day. It's like it just constantly flows. So those are examples of favoritism. And it robs us, perhaps, of something that we needed, something that was of value. And the Bible tells us that God does not show favoritism. He's no respecter of persons, and neither should we. And it's not always easy, but I believe we need to walk in victory in this area. The second aspect the apostle identifies is discrimination. Well, this just ups the ante. When we go from favoritism to discrimination, we actually make a decision. We actually make a choice. And discrimination is another aspect that can destroy relationships. In James 2 and verse 4, it says, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves? And when we, when we 
When we move to this point, we start to make distinctions and we start to deliberately place people in categories or little boxes. We start to do that. And we begin to say things like, ah, they're always like that. Those people are always like that. We get this us and them mentality. And it can eventually lead to institutionalized discrimination, which is something we've come out of in this country, something that took place in Germany during the Second World War. And the issue is, how do we get over this? How do we overcome this in our lives? Well, I believe we must look at the example that Jesus set. Because, and I'm, I've, got, I've written down a few here, he washed the feet of Judas knowing that Judas was a traitor. Are you ready to wash the feet of a friend that you know is not loyal? That's what Jesus did. He ministered in the Gentile regions. You didn't even go there. You didn't go to those people. And in Samaria. He came to earth to break down the barriers that separate people. And he told us, and I'm reading from Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Wow. The third thing I see that the apostle mentions is judgmentalism. And if you go and read that scripture in James 2 verse 4 again, it says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now I want to tell you a judge is a fearsome thing, but a judge with evil thoughts is wicked. And here is this whole judgmental thing. And when we, and when we, when we, when we embrace that, we start judging harshly. And I, I was a victim of that myself. As a young man, I was put in a place of responsibility and I had to meet many people, make many decisions quickly and accurately. And so I would see so many people and what I did is I, would, I taught myself to look when they walked in the door. And the moment, the moment they walked in the door, I would look and I would already have decided. Then they could sit and I would afford them 20 minutes or whatever that they could tell me their story, but I already decided. Because out of necessity, I had developed this and I had to repent of that. I had to deal with that in my own life. In preparation for this sermon, I went and listened to one of my father's sermons. It was entitled, Stop Judging One Another. Stop judging one another. And I thought, maybe we need to hear that again. Eh? Stop judging one another. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus says, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And the Lord Jesus is very practical in his advice to us. In Matthew 7, verse 1, he says, do not judge others. Now, there's a reason that it's to your personal benefit not to judge. And the reason is that judging has a boomerang effect. What goes around comes around. Devil dry. And in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. 
And God will never ask us to do something we cannot do. I must say it's difficult. Sometimes when I watch the news, I think to myself, man, there's some people in this world and I'm wondering, why do they don't just put me in those jobs because I could solve all those problems, you know? <laughs> Maybe that's something you can think about. Maybe we should rather pray for them. Point number three, be more human. Be more human. This, this is the challenge in the area of relationships, is for us to be more human, because that's how we're wired. And what does it mean to be human? Well, I think Jesus spoke into this aspect. He said, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. That's being more human. And I believe we are designed and instructed to do so. And I believe the most human people will be the best people. The most human companies will be the best companies. The most human churches will be the most effective churches. If we could only be more human, I think it would, it would change the atmosphere of our lifestyles, our lives for that matter. You see, I believe kindness is good for us. I recently had a discussion with a psychologist who has 32 years of experience in dealing with people and their lives and relationships and she just began to explain to me how we are designed to be kind. And she, she gave me these points that she, that she sent through after her research. I'm just going to read them. Firstly, scientific evidence has proven that kindness changes the brain and impacts the heart and the immune system and may even be an antidote to depression. Secondly, we are actually genetically wired to be kind. Three, when we are kind, our bodies are the healthiest. Four, love and kindness can make a damaged heart regenerate faster and can even extend lifespan. Five, that kindness and compassion stimulates the nervous system to combat inflammation the underlying sources of most diseases, including cancer. And then six, gratitude can make you at least 25% happier. That one's for free. <laughs> but I believe we are wired to be kind. You are wired for kindness. You are not wired for favoritism, discrimination, judgmentalism. You are wired to be kind. That last verse in verse 13, it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. You are wired to be kind. We are wired to receive kindness. We want kindness. We want people to be kind to us. And if we want people to be kind to us, we must give kindness, be more human, not judgmental. Begin to move in mercy and kindness because mercy brings with, with it more reward than judgment. Point four, the last point as I begin to wrap it up, hidden treasures. You see, it's within relationships that we will discover hidden treasures. Hidden treasures. We discover that it may not be as it seems. 
And that under all the issues and challenges within relationships, there are great treasures to be discovered. If your finger is still in James, James chapter two, go to verse five. It says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Wow. You mean to tell me that that person who is poor in the eyes of the world might have something? They're rich in faith. There's a treasure there. Maybe it's because they've really had to trust the Lord and the rest of us have been able to financially maneuver ourselves out of the situation. I don't know, but there's a treasure. The poor in the eyes of the world are rich in faith. And I'm, I want that scripture just to pop open to you. The people you think could be of no value in your life could be of value. I believe there's hidden treasure within each and every human being, and that includes ones like you and me. As I mentioned at the beginning, I've had the privilege of being able to maintain lifelong relationships, and I've discovered that when I needed them most, those relationships came into play. When I was a little boy in my Sunday school, my Sunday school superintendent brought two little boys to Sunday school. These two little boys came from a broken home. In those days, it was unusual. And I made friends with these two little boys. And I'm so thankful I did. I am so thankful that I made friends and I maintained that friendship over a 40-year window. Because you see, the one, both of them ended up as doctors. But the one ended up a doctor in the hospital where my wife was dying. And you know, the night before my wife died at 2 a.m., he brought us Kentucky. 2 a.m. And about an hour before she died, I was able to go to his office and he was able to pray for me as we released my wife to the Lord. I know no greater treasure. But if I had blown it by whatever, I would have lost out on that treasure. I would have lost out on that treasure. One last example before we pray. There was a lady who was involved in church in Pretoria, quite a well-known church, quite a well-known family, and she got divorced. And in those days, it was quite frowned upon, and the church spurned her and rejected her, and it was, it was quite harsh what she had to go through. And she was a nurse by trade, and uh, one day she prayed, and she said, Lord, Use me. I'm nothing. Nobody even likes me. Just use me. Unbeknown to her, that day there was going to be a march from the union buildings. And that day, Pastor Ed Rabbit was going to collapse and be delivered into her hands via the ambulance. 
And when we got there, this lady turned out to be nothing short of an angel. And she was there. She ministered to us. This spurned, rejected lady. And she was the greatest treasure in the darkest moment of our lives. And we have maintained relationship with her for 22 years. And about two months ago, she went to be with the Lord. Hidden treasure. There's hidden treasure in your relationships. And I want to encourage you in relationships. Don't let them be disposable. Value the relationships. Put effort into the relationships. That's what the apostle said. He said we should value relationships with all others. Don't show favoritism. Don't discriminate. Don't judge. But rather show mercy and discover the hidden treasure and it might not reveal itself immediately. It might reveal itself way down the line when you need it most. And then you want those relationships to be in place and do it regardless of their personality or their wealth or their position or their influence or whatever it may be because mercy triumphs. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Father God, we come to you now. Forgive us, Lord, where we have undervalued this vital, important aspect of relationships. And we ask, Lord, that you would turn things around, that, that we would begin to appreciate the relationships that you've placed in our lives, that you'd be, we'd begin to value them, that we'd begin to invest in those relationships, that we'd reach across where there's been divides and divisions and that we would experience a breakthrough and that we would discover these hidden treasures in, in the relationships that you've given us. And that ultimately, Lord, we will be able to stand before your throne and we won't have a whole lot of issues, but we'll just be able to stay, stand before you and say, God, I was blessed by those you brought into my life. I pray that I was a blessing too. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir this within us, that we would remind ourselves that we are wired to be kind and that you would even give us an opportunity during this week to show kindness to others. That's what we pray. Now I pray, Lord, that you will bless your people, that you'll make your face to shine on them, be gracious to them, fill them with your presence and your peace, and that they would know that you are with them no matter what they're going through. And we dedicate ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.